Welcome to No Baller. My name is Chris Rawl. It is Tuesday, June 29th. On today's show, the ever-changing opinions surrounding the Los Angeles Clippers. Before we get there, we will start with a gambling tidbit of the day. One reason why gambling should be legal in Utah. Last night, I buckled up for a good sports night. Game one of the Stanley Cup Finals between Montreal and Tampa. Game five of the NBA Western Conference Finals, Clippers, Suns. And I needed some side bets, a little side action outside of those. Because sometimes you just need a little bit more in life than your your main love can provide. And I honed in on Angels-Yankees, which is on MLB Network. I bet under 10.5 runs. Uh, And it looked like a total runaway after the first inning. Three runs are already on the board. Shoei Otani's banging home runs out there that go for three miles. And I just am kind of already ready to peace out on the bet. I go, no, I'm going to need something weird to change the mojo of this game. It's going to be an over by a mile. I should never have bet this. This was the wrong decision tonight. And indeed, something weird steps up, uh, a literal barf fest. Dylan Bundy, the pitcher for the Angels, apparently starts suffering from heat exhaustion. And in the second inning, I'm watching the game, and he just kind of puts his hands on his knees and starts yakking all over the mound, blah, blah, just over and over. The announcers are going, oh, well, this isn't good. This, oh, no. All the angels dugout comes running out, and they go, all right, leave. We're going to get a different picture in. It changes the entire makeup of the game. Next thing we know, it's a pitcher's duel. I cash the under. I'm feeling great about life, and it gives us today's reason why gambling should be legal in the state of Utah because it will create a soft spot in your heart for citizens who barf in public. And now, a word from our sponsor, Traeger Grills. With your and you always Traeger invented the original wood-fired grill over 30 years ago in Mount Angel, Oregon. They continue to lead the industry as the world's number one selling wood-fired grill perfected by decades of mastering the craft of wood-fired cooking. You can find out more at TraegerGrills.com. Opinions change. This is a great draw of sports for someone like me, who likes to take in as much information as I can uh, and make up my mind in that given moment. And then as more information rolls in, I can go, hmm, maybe I was wrong about that thing that I wholeheartedly believed a month ago or a year ago or five years ago. Part of why I love tracing these journeys of teams and players that I'm always talking about because I can go through various points in a career and go, it's kind of funny that I truly believe with all of my heart this specific thing about this player. And now in present day, I think the exact opposite. Uh, It's really cool to be able to alter your opinion based on what is presented before you. There's one team and a few players on that team that I want to hone in on for today's conversation, uh, the Los Angeles Clippers, who if you had said was a team of resiliency one year ago, you would have been laughed off of planet Earth. That was not a word that was associated with this team. Uh, Two off seasons ago, they were cobbled together. Paul George, Kawhi Leonard comes in, superstar team thrown together, high hopes for a championship, and they go into the playoffs last year. And they make it to the second round after struggling through a first-round series against Dallas. They're up 3-1 in the series against the Denver Nuggets. And they blow that lead. They wilt. They have double-digit leads in games 5 and 6 and 7. They lose all three games out of the playoffs. Just a total flame-out. 
uh, and everybody, including myself, watched it and thought, ugh, this team, there's something off. They lack, I don't know if it's a, a backbone. I don't know if it's team chemistry. I don't know if it's just simple on-court basketball fit that hasn't really been pieced together in a way that measures up to their talent. Whatever it is, this team is not ready for this moment. They're not really built for it. Uh, definitely not a team of resiliency. The lasting image of that series is the fourth quarter when Kawhi and Paul George are just bricking everything in sight and the Nuggets are making things and it's really starting to set in on the viewer that, oh my gosh, the Clippers are really going to lose this game. Uh, and it culminates in Paul George bricking one off the side of the backboard. That's where we were last offseason. And I'm one of those people. I'll, I'll widely admit that. I go, there's just something about this team that they're not really there for it. You know, that was my belief. We go into round one of the playoffs this year. They're playing the Dallas Mavericks again. Uh, The Clippers are favored. They're hosting the first two games at home. They lose game one. They lose game two. So now they're heading back to Dallas. Four games, three and four, down in the series. Uh, Pretty big back-against-the-wall style moment. They fall down by 19 points in the first quarter of game three. I'm watching it here in this office, and I go, you can punt this team directly into outer space. This is over. This is not a resilient team. They're not a team that when you push them up against the wall, they respond accordingly. They just kind of melt into a puddle on the ground, and we'll all make fun of them once the series is over. That's what I felt. Instead, they storm back. They win games three and four. Then they lose game five in LA. And these opinions and narratives are shifting in real time. They win game three and four, and I go, maybe they are here for it. They lose game five at home. I go, same old Clippers as last year. Nothing's really changed. There's something weird about this team. Again, I can't put my finger on it. Whatever it is, it's there, and they're going to lose this series. Kawhi goes off in game six. uh, Superstar performance. They weather the Lucas Storm in the first half of game seven. They end up winning that. So they've survived the first round. And if you look at it just as an individual series, you say, pretty resilient effort, honestly, from the Clippers. In the context of last year, I'm still a little uneasy. I'm going, "Eh, I don't know. I don't know what to make of this. Is it a black mark on them that they were struggling through this seven-game series against a team that really only had Luka? Or is it a sign of a team that maybe is more equipped to play when their backs are against the wall than they were last year? They go into round two against the Utah Jazz. Jazz win game one, Jazz win game two. Again, backs against the wall type moment. Clippers ride George and Kawhi in games three and four. Masterpiece performances from both. Uh, They run Utah to the gym in both games. Going into game five, uh, we have a pretty big adversity hits type moment. Kawhi Leonard is ruled out and he's not played since. Best player on the team. Jazz are big favorites in game five because of it. They're flame throwing in the first half of game five. Bogdanovich can't miss. Clippers weather the storm. They come storming back in the second half. They win that game. Sets up a huge game six for them. They're still underdogs in that game. Two point underdogs. Jazz go up by 25 points in the second half of that game. It seems like a game seven is certain. Again, backs against the wall. Clippers respond. They come storming back. They win that game by double digits in regulation. Uh, Cause an identity crisis for the Jazz at the same time is really giving us more fuel for this idea that, hey, maybe this this team is different from what they were last year. Maybe through whatever process. I don't know if it's a baptism by fire from last year. I don't know if it's just because things are clicking more on court this year. I don't know but they seem more equipped to respond when the going gets tough in the playoffs, which it always will. So we go into this round against the Phoenix Suns, Western Conference Finals. Um, 
They lose coin flip games in games two and four. Famous eight and alley-oop in game two. Clippers are this far away from winning. Razor-thin margins, remember always. Uh, in game four, it's there for the taking. Just a rock fight of a game. Suns end up pulling it out 84-80. And game five is last night in Phoenix. Clippers down 3-1 in the series. Every right to roll over and go home for the holidays. I wouldn't fault them for it. I don't think really anybody would. You look at your team, or you look at their team and you say, their best player's gone. They performed admirably. Zubots, right before game time, is ruled out. They've kind of needed him in this series to combat what Aiton is doing. Now it's just another, uh, another person gone off the end of their bench. Roster is becoming shorter and shorter by the game. They're going to have to rely on this combination of small ball and DeMarcus Cousins off the bench. That doesn't sound ideal. And instead, we get another moment for this Clippers team of responding to adversity, of performing when their backs are against the wall. You get a full team effort last night from LA. They win going away, 116 to 102. And now they're going back to game six against a Phoenix team that is increasingly feeling the pressure of, okay, we're going to have to close this out because if it's going into game seven and we were up 3-1 and we have all the pressure on us because people look at the Clippers and they say, they don't have Kawhi. We don't expect a lot out of them. Anything you get from this point forward, it's just kind of icing on the cake. But we all expect them to lose. And instead, they're going back for game six as this team that has kind of tapped into uh, a resilient well within their, their basketball souls. And every time they're put into a hard spot, they respond. That's what we're seeing. I want to read two quotes or two tweets. Sorry. First one from Zach Lowe of ESPN. The second from Tony Jones of The Athletic. This is from Zach. The biggest question about the clips after the bubble, even given coaching and roster changes, was whether that Denver series scarred them. How would they react in the playoffs when someone punched them in the face? They have answered the bell in all three series. Super impressive. And then this from Tony. Whether or not the Clippers win a championship this season, this was a championship performance. End quote. So I love both of those. They tie into what I myself was feeling as I'm watching this. Um, Man, this is something I never would have expected from this particular Clippers team, uh, resiliency. And also a, a reminder of something that, that I like to tap into myself as a sports fan. You can have championship-level performances and not end up winning the championship. Um, and, and you can have these things that will probably get lost in the shuffle if you lose. Uh, but in the moment, I look at them and I go, this kind of is altering my perception of this team. Um, it's another reminder that it is really hard to know anything about a team after just watching them for one year, or really even watching them for a decade. And there's so much that goes into a team's story that's constantly changing and evolving that we'll change our minds 15 times over the course of a year, much less over the course of 10 years. We'll get to the end of a team's run or the end of a player's career, and we'll change our opinions after they're done playing, when we have no information uh, that's being updated. This is just part of what's crazy about following sports and part of what I like. Uh, the ability to just, oh, I'm getting new information and I can change my opinion. Or when I have the entire story told there, I can go back and remember and go over things and say, maybe I was wrong about this particular thing. Uh, just as we all agreed last year in the moment that the Clippers were chokers and they're not built for this moment, as 
this Denver series is slipping out of their grasp. Right now, everybody is tipping their cap, and rightfully so, to LA's ability to dig deep uh, when their backs are against the wall. Last night was the Clippers' sixth double-digit win when trailing in a series this postseason. Crazy stat. Most in the history of the NBA postseason. Uh, In totality, it's their seventh win when trailing in a playoff series in the playoffs, also the most in NBA history. A team that truly has summoned something when they are down in a series and performed to the very best that they can possibly perform. I'll read another quote from Kurt Goldsberry of ESPN that just taps into this crazy run that's going on with the Clippers and taps into their coach, Ty Lue. Teron Lue, when facing elimination, 10-2 and record, best in NBA history by a head coach with a minimum of 10 games. Teron Lue with a chance to clinch a series, 12-1 and record, best in NBA history by a head coach, minimum of 10 games, end quote. Those two things in conjunction with one another, it's almost hard to comprehend how they can both exist. Lou famously coached that 2016 Cavs team that got pushed to the brink, down 3-1 against Golden State. And now he is bringing whatever it is to the table that he brings. I don't know if it's X's and O's. I don't know if it's a a spiritual bond with his team and ability to extract the very best of them when the going gets tough. I don't know what that is. It's very hard for me to discern what it is about this Clippers team and what it is about Teron Lou's past teams that have shown a constant ability to play well when they're down in a series or close out a series when given the opportunity. There are two players that I want to concentrate on in the context of today's conversation, that opinions are always changing. Uh, And that's fine. That's okay. That's actually preferable to just digging your heels in and getting a little bit of information at some point in a player's career and saying, this is who they are. This is who they'll always be. And I'll always try to find little slivers of information that will support this argument. I don't want to change. We'll start with Paul George. Playoff P. Lowercase playoff P for a lot of people who last night was all caps playoff P. Uh, A sensational performance from him. Playoff career high, 41 points. To go along with 13 rebounds and 6 assists. He was everywhere. He was doing everything. Shouldered all the workload. He was 15 for 20 from the field. Um, in the third quarter, he scores 20 of his points to weather the Phoenix Storm. Phoenix takes a 62-61 lead. It's their first lead of the game that they've taken. It seems like one of those moments when, okay, the world is starting to right itself. Phoenix is going to take control. They should win tonight. They're the better team. A lot of people think that. And instead, George leads this Clippers charge, a three-point barrage. They come storming back. They stretch the lead back out to double digits. And they end up winning, going away. And it was a very impressive performance from George in a playoffs that has had a lot of them for me as I watch him. Um, Especially as Kawhi has gone down. Because the the most impressive part of George's playoff run for me has been his consistency under an increasingly heavy workload. He was good when Kawhi was there, up through Game 4 of the Jazz Series, and he's been better in the role that they've asked him to perform in. Hey, you have to be everything for us. 
We're going to have nights where we just need 41 points and 13 rebounds and six assists. There's no way around it. We don't have enough star power on this team without Kawhi. And so you're going to have to step in and fill that void. You're going to have to play heavy minutes, and you're going to have to give us volume stats. And George has been doing that. And indeed, he's been consistently giving stuff throughout this postseason run for the Clippers. I'm going to read a tweet from ESPN Stats and Information. Paul George has 20 points in all 18 games this postseason. He's the fourth player to open a postseason with a streak that long. The other three players, Michael Jordan, Kevin Durant, Kobe Bryant. End quote. Pretty impressive company when it comes to consistent scoring within a playoff run. Uh, Three of the all-time greats. Paul George now on that list. He has so far totaled 735 minutes played in the playoffs which the next highest is Trey Young at 568. He's dwarfing the actual minutes played of anybody else in this particular playoffs. Uh, And that's really been stressed as Kawhi has gone out, which at that moment, I felt very confident. And I think almost every NBA fan felt confident going into game five that "Mm, now's the time for the Clippers to bow out. The Jazz, yeah, they don't have Conley, but with no Kawhi, the Jazz have to win this series. You know, they're roughly nine-point favorites in that game five. Paul George, his most notable playoff collapse comes on that very court in game six of Donovan Mitchell's rookie year when he goes two for 16 with the Thunder and the Thunder bow out. The Jazz win that series. He's going back to this house of horrors for himself. The crowd's booing. They're jeering. They're chanting uh, playoff P. And instead, he rose to the occasion in that game, and he's been doing that since then. And he's been doing that before that in this playoff run. Now, it doesn't wash away his past. This is what I think is so interesting and part of what I like about sports. Again, his past playoff struggles are real. You know, he went two for 16 in that game six against the Jazz amidst a bunch of other poor shooting performances throughout his playoff career. Um, part of that, he's rising to the occasion this year. You know, both of these things can be true. Players' legacy is never the either or proposition that we want it to be. Either Paul George is atrocious or he's awesome in the playoffs. It's never that. It's never that for the very best people. It's never that for MJ or LeBron or the people who always just agree, well, yes, they're the very best in the playoffs and there's no uh, ifs, ands, or buts about it. Like Those people all have notable playoff failures in their past. Um, This is part of a player's story. You know, this muddled gray matter that when you watch all of it, you go, hmm, I can make sense out of a lot of it and some of it is just really hard to. But it's always a good thing to remember that a really good player can have atrocious performances in the playoffs and really good ones. And we're seeing that play out with playoff P. I want to read two things from Jared Dubin of 538 to illustrate this. Uh, This was written going into game five last night. The man who once dubbed himself playoff P has played in 106 playoff games during his 11-year career. And he shot 40% from the field or worse in 56 of them. Some of those games came early in his career when he was a supporting player on the Indiana Pacers. But in 48 of the 56, George attempted at least 10 shots. That means that as a share of his total playoff games, George has shot 40% or worse on at least 10 attempts 45.3% of the time. Among all NBA players with at least 100 playoff games played during the three-point era since 79-80, only one player has tallied those high-volume, low-quality games more often. 
Georgia's former Oklahoma City Thunder teammate, Russell Westbrook. And then he goes on to say this. George went for 65 points, 25 rebounds, 12 assists, 4 steals, and 3 blocks as the Clippers took games 5 and 6 to clinch their second round series against the Jazz without their best player. He shot 22 of 46 from the field, 5 of 14 from deep, and 16 of 18 from the line. His jumper has been offline against the Suns, but he still managed to average 27.5 points, 10.3 rebounds, 6.3 assists, and a steal across the first four games of the series, while parading himself to the line for 10.8 attempts per game. All while Leonard is out, along with Serge Ibaka, Marcus Morris Sr. is hobbled, and head coach Ty Lue has gone back to a bigger lineup that has clogged up all the driving lanes, end quote. So he pours 41 on top of that last night. And again, he's being asked to do this in a very stressful role of you have to create a lot of our offense in this series, unlike the Jazz series when they were able to go five out and roast Utah in that manner. They've had to lean into playing a bigger lineup. Zubats through the first four games, and it's really constricted the space of their offense. So now George is being asked to create and score against a defense that's just kind of sitting there in the wings waiting. Uh, and he's done an admirable job putting up all of these stats uh, against a defense that knows it's coming. And even when he's not shooting to the best of his ability, he's still finding ways to contribute. That's one of the things that has always been a knock on lowercase playoff P. Just when the going gets tough, you not only shoot badly, but you just kind of fade off. And you're on the court, but no one really knows what the hell you're doing. And instead, this year, especially since Kawhi has gone down, there hasn't been a game that I've watched of George where I go, he wasn't ready for this game. He wasn't up for it. Yeah, he's had a few games that he hasn't shot well, but he's always part of the action. He's still playing defense. He's still rebounding. He's still creating shots for his teammates. Uh, and that's what you ask from your stars. It goes contrary to the playoff P narrative of he's not really built for it. Uh, the very best stars, yeah, they're all going to have bad shooting nights, especially when they're asked to score with volume against defenses that know that it's coming. But they always find ways to impact a game. Um, that's what we're seeing from George. It's another blip in this story, you know, uh, and another blip in opinions can change. And player legacies are never really as simple as we want them to be. George starts his career as a great playoff player with the Pacers, goes toe-to-toe with LeBron. Then there's a lot of lean years where you can extract a lot of performances and say, That's, that was just bad. And now we're seeing a playoff run from him that is altering my opinion again of him, again of him in real time. And I'm going, man, this guy can just be one of the very best players in the league. And yeah, he has some notable struggles in the playoffs. But this year, is it's a pretty incredible extended run from Paul George just like it's an incredible extended run from this resilient Clippers team. There's one other player who I want to concentrate on. Reggie Jackson, who has somehow become an unstoppable scorer for this team, especially in crunch time. Uh, We know him as the shoot-first guard that couldn't really mesh with Westbrook and Durant in Oklahoma City. And he got banished to the Siberia of the NBA, the Detroit Pistons, for six years before he gets... Uh, he comes aboard the Clippers roster last season. And up until these playoffs, he hasn't been really anything special, just a you know roughly 10-point-per-game score, 
in a mainly bench role. Just he's there. No one You would never think about Reggie Jackson. That's the main point. And this year, he's been one of the breakout players of the playoffs in his own right. I've talked a lot about Trey Young and Devin Booker, two of the stars that are coming out. And Reggie Jackson has been, in his own right, almost as impressive just because where he's come from. This forgettable NBA player who seemed like he was on his way out of the league with Detroit. And now he's turned into a go-to player for the Los Angeles Clippers. Last night in Game 5, as they're staving off elimination again for the seventh time this playoffs, 23 points, 5 rebounds, 3 assists, 8 for 14 from the field, 4 for 7 from 3-point land. If you followed his run, it seems like he delivers this stat line every single night. As I'm rooting for the Jazz in last series, one of the greatest sources of frustration was just going, how does nobody have an answer to stop Reggie Jackson? Every big shot in every fourth quarter seemed like it was coming off his fingertips and going into the hoop. You know, And I've gotten to the point where I'm stopped trying to make sense of this feeling that I take for granted that every fourth quarter shot coming from Reggie Jackson is just swishing, no matter the difficulty. I still have nightmares of him in multiple games of that Utah series when he's shooting these crazy tough three-point shots or jumpers against Gobert, and they're all just going in, going in, going in, like he's prime Kobe Bryant. Uh, it, it's a remarkable transformation of a player that if you asked me my opinion of a year ago, I'd go, if I have an opinion, it's that he just shouldn't be playing on a team that's good. But I really almost don't even have an opinion because why would I? He's just inconsequential to the bigger story of the NBA when it comes to the playoffs. And now he's one of the most consequential consequential stories. Crunch time score, the very best isolation score over the course of the season in basketball. And somebody who the resilient Clippers rely upon to bring the heat in fourth quarter of these games. I want to read a quote from Ramona Shelburne of the ESPN, which was also written going into game five. In the first round of the Western Conference playoffs against the Dallas Mavericks, Jackson was a revelation, scoring 18.2 points a game after being inserted into the starting lineup in game three. In the second round against the Utah Jazz, he also averaged 18 points. But Jackson stepped it up to 24.5 points and 6.5 assists after Kawhi Leonard was lost to a knee injury in Game 4. In the conference finals against the Phoenix Suns, Jackson is averaging 21.5 points through the first four games. Overall, the Clippers are plus 104 with Jackson on the court during these playoffs. And according to ESPN stats and information research, he is one of the only three players in NBA history to hit at least three three-pointers in 14 postseason games. The other two are Golden State Warriors stars, Clay Thompson and Steph Curry, end quote. We're seeing a really cool uh, story happen in real time. Uh, and we're also seeing a really interesting shift in public opinion of a team and, and multiple players within that team. Clippers, resilient. Paul George, playoff performer. Reggie Jackson, playoff performer. And crunch time scorer, and indeed volume scorer within the course of three consecutive series for the Clippers. A 10-point-per-game score in the regular season has doubled that in the playoffs under much more duress and done so in an efficient manner. So I'll wrap this all up with uh, just a thought on my part. Uh, if the Clippers lose game six or seven, I'm very confident that some people will gravitate towards the past opinion of this team and of these players, you know. 
the Clippers are chokers who wilt when the moment's too big. Paul George isn't who you want when the going gets tough. Uh, Reggie Jackson isn't who you want, period. All of those things have existed in the past, uh, and they were built upon things that we've actually watched. Not saying that that's completely unfounded beliefs. But now here we are watching something different play out. And we're watching three series worth of evidence that, as always, the conversation surrounding this team, the Clippers, and players like Paul George and Reggie Jackson is always deeper than we give it credit for. Thank you for listening to No Baller. This podcast can be found on any platform of your choosing. If you could rate and review and help spread the word, it would help me immensely. If you have additional feedback or thoughts that you want incorporated into the show, please email me at chris at thebeehive.com. Last but not least, if you would prefer to listen to this as a video, go to thebeehive.com and find No Baller.